You are listening to the one of us.net podcast network. One of us.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to one of us.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. It's digital noise. Digital noise. I'm your host, Chris, and joining me is this uh, sack of disease and and pus, Aaron. Oh, there is no pus. Okay. There's Hi, not pus. I'm Aaron. I have a cold. Snot. Chris is evil. <laughs> uh, okay, there is a fair amount of snot. There is a fair amount of snot. And, and also, fair warning, this is uh, three and a half hours into a recordathon that I have done because yeah. I'm doing a couple of other shows. Because Matt Frank's all like, uh, why yeah. don't you come record with me and talk about <laughs> giant monsters? And so I am loopy and tired, and this should be a fun episode because Hell of that. Yeah. And even more fun because we have a lot of really bad movies to talk about, but kind of gloriously bad, some yeah, of these. We do. I, I mean, not all of them are terrible. I, I, not all, a couple of them are really awesome. And there's yeah. one great one that I, I hesitate to recommend just because it, it shouldn't have come out again. But um, yeah, I, I went into a bunch of these movies going... I'm pretty sure Chris told me this was a great stack when he handed it off to I me. I did not. I definitely did not. <laughs> like, like, although I have been known to do that just because I feel guilty. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's yeah. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed watching almost every movie in the stack, even though acknowledging that over half of them are really bad. I, I think there was... There was one, maybe two, that I, I did not enjoy. All right. Fair but, enough. But that's about it. Well, we're right, going to start with one this. that I know actu- actively pissed you off as you were watching, even though it's considered to be kind of a classic, which is 1957's Man of a Thousand Faces. Now, if you don't know that term, even if you don't know the movie, you don't know that term, then you definitely are someone who needs to do more research into horror. The Man of a Thousand Faces was a term that was associated specifically and for the first time ever, as far as I know, to the actor Lon Chaney. And I don't mean Lon Chaney Jr., his son, who, who although that was not his actual name, he was forced yeah, to adopt it just adopted. to get acting roles, but uh, who starred most famously in The Wolfman for Universal years later. But Lon Chaney was a largely silent film actor who was kind of the guy, revol- not kind of, specifically the guy revolutionized makeup pr- and practical effects for movies in the early age. I mean, he invented so many things with his own just personal, like, try it out, see what works, that there's still some things that people still are not entirely clear on how he did them. Well, he, he was um, he was a vaudeville star who he was used to having to create all of his effects himself. And so when he went into film, he broke into film with the idea of like, no, I'm still this play actor. I'm still this stage actor. And he approached it with that level of, I have to do this shit myself or it won't happen. And, and, and to clarify, there is a character who pissed me off who I came around on okay. uh, by the end of the movie. I actually thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Okay, okay, because you were texting me stuff like a lot as you were watching, and I was <laughs> laughing, but because uh, I went through the same process watching this movie. But, you know, it was one of those things that was the fault of, to some degree, the times when this was made. There's still an issue with, like, 
Lon Chaney's character himself here, played by the legendary James Cagney, that I was like, obviously this was not a thing that was a concern at the time, but in today's world, it's like, dude, yeah, also, what are you doing? Uh, so, like, let's get into the story itself. So, so Lon Chaney is working in a vaudeville show with his wife at the time, and I, I miss why, but for some reason she won't go up, and... Th- she gets fired. He quits because of that after a really great scene establishing uh, basically how good of an actor he is, where he comes in on plane and just captivates the Yeah, audience. and everybody's like, Jesus, his, all his bosses are like, that guy, shit, man, just put yeah. him on stage and you're set. And so the two of them, we find out that they're going to have a child, uh, and, and we get to... The part that aggravated me. So it ends up that Lon Chaney's parents are deaf. Um, and he didn't talk till he was in high school. He knows sign language and he doesn't, you, he doesn't talk at his home. And so because they are having a child and they're trying to make it work, they move back in with their parents and his wife loses her shit and is, one of the most unsympathetic characters you've ever seen, where she basically, I think a quote is, I don't want to have a dumb thing, meaning the inability to speak. And like when they have the baby, it ends up that it can speak, but still that seed of discord is in their relationship. And over the course of a few months, as he's found work, she, their marriage falls apart. Right. Uh, she, Cheats on him. He does some really bad she things. She cheats on him to some extent. We're the point where I'm kind of feeling sympathetic for her, though. Well, I, I, I thought the I thought the implication was that she was flat out sleeping around. Well, yeah, okay, so but, but but he basically says to her, "Well, I'm getting good jobs now, so there's no reason for you yeah. to work. I don't want you to work. I don't like all those guys leering at you and stuff. So you should just stay home." Which is very not what at what, all. Well, and that's <laughs> kind of what you were talking about. Like you mentioned that he's. He was not a great character or not a good guy. And it took me a while to get to that because, yes, if you put what he's doing in the context of today's America, he's a dick. Yeah. Like, he is super controlling. He gets her fired at one point. Yeah, like um, literally goes in and demands that and, her boss, when she's on a success run on her own, yeah. fire her because and he doesn't like the idea of her. When doing. she leaves him. Uh, he basically said, he tells his son that she's dead and lives with that lie for the majority of his life. And so like that stuff is so in parlance with movies of this time that it took me a while to realize that he was indeed kind of an asshole too. Cause it was just like, oh yeah, that's just what the main characters in these kinds of movies do. But right. so he has the child, the wife is no longer in the picture and he is raising this child as well as developing his career as he shifts from stage into a silent set of, a which, silent film. Which I thought was very interesting, that transfer point, because he goes there, like, basically some stuff, like, the, the, the scandal of, like, his wife leaving and breaks out, and at that point it's like, oh, okay, that damaged his career severely. And he's like, where can I work? They don't already know me. And, like, you barely spent any time in L.A., and plus... The film industry has just taken off there, and honestly, there's tons of stuff. And he goes out there, like, kind of annoyed that they would even ask him to be an extra at first. But he rapidly moves through that 
due to his massive skill and ability due to his experience working on vaudeville and his giant makeup case to um, within minutes recreate himself as sometimes characters that are really culturally inappropriate to do at oh, this they're, point they're massively culturally <laughs> but, but it was it, it the was, times it was Hollywood in the 20s yeah it, exactly it is what it is and, and before you know it he is a leading man I mean like a super leading man I mean if you don't know you don't know much about this period Lon Chaney was one of the greats one of the big names of Hollywood uh, it, I wanted to mention a scene, but I can't because we haven't gotten there yet. But so, yeah, the movie then just tracks his rise and success in Hollywood while at the same time sort of following um, the his son growing up up until a point where his son is an adult. And that's when the mother character becomes more of a feature and she's no longer... It comes back around, yeah. She's no longer a, a mustache-twirling evil harpy and is an actual nuanced character. And I really regretted my text at that point because I was like, I, I kind of, like, I'm okay with her. I get where she... I was amused following yeah. your, your, your upset. <laughs> uh, one interesting thing, you know, the, the Hollywood producer... <laughs> Irving Thalberg, who comes in and is kind of like, you're amazing, Lon well, Chaney. Yeah, he's, he's like really young. He's the guy who like, uh, quote unquote, discovers him. You know who that was? I do not. Robert Evans. Wh- oh, shit. Famous Hollywood producer who just died like you know, a few I, days I ago. I saw online when I was looking into this movie that Roger Evans was in it, but I never realized who he was. Evans, yeah. Robert Evans. Yeah. Wait, his name was Robert. I thought it was Roger this no, whole Robert, time. Robert. Oh, my God. Oh, so is the guy I always think of less. I, this is terrible. I think of less for his actual incredibly famous Hollywood career than I do of Patton Oswalt's bit about him about it's like okay. being I, an, a, a huge party guy. It's like, have you ever gone down on Diane Keaton after her pussy's been marinating in an apple juice hot tub for three hours? I gotta tell you, it's amazing. I, uh, <laughs> that's okay. I think of the really terrible animated series they made about him. There was an animated series about Bob Evans? Yeah, it's atrocious. He he basically just does that through Hollywood. Well, there's a, a, a fantastic documentary that used a lot of rotoscoping amongst regular film called The Kid Stays in the Picture about him. That yep, is I just, I would highly recommend to anyone who's interested in uh, 60s and 70s Hollywood. So, but, but the, the movie then, it, it follows his relationship with his son as the son discovers the wife still exists as well as him becoming this man of a thousand faces. Yeah. And so it's interspersed with recreations of scenes from his famous movies, including Quasimodo, which was really cool because yeah. that was one of his big breakout hits. Yeah. Um, Although I was kind of like, we're not going to see London After Midnight? Yeah. And I realized at the time they probably still had prints of London After Midnight, one of the most famous lost films there is. Like, everybody's like, I mean, if you ever found a copy of London After Midnight, you would be a very rich person. So, like, and that's that's the movie in a nutshell. Um which it was enjoyable. It definitely has a lot of the hallmarks of being in a movie of this era. The one, one of the issues that I really ended up having with it is that for all that the movie is ultimately about his son, like his son is the defining character in this film and is not a character. He has almost nothing about him. He just shows up in a few scenes yeah. and we watch him grow older, but like, he never really... It's not his movie. It's not his movie. Yeah. It, it feels like the third man, where it's just like... And there's a lot of uh, like stuff that was ironic at the time, because by the time this came out in 1957, Lon Chaney Jr. was already an established and well-known actor on his own, 
And there's a lot of Lon Chaney famously trying to keep his kid away from acting, yeah. like tried very hard to keep his kid from being an actor. Uh, and his kid, even when he went into acting for years, was going by his real name to no success. It really wasn't until he was like, fine, I'll be Lon Chaney Jr. That oh. it took off. I, I, I will admit the, the movie ends on an eye roll that's kind of associated with that. That I was like, oh, gosh, come on, movie. Yeah. But it's, it has a very, it has points. It's overwrought, you know, um, like the performances are largely good. Cagney's killing it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's hard to represent, uh, even with somebody as Cagney's talent, to represent the huge range that Lone Chaney <laughs> really had, which was enormous. And Chaney, uh, and um, uh, uh, Cagney manages to pull it off. He makes him very engaging where you're like, totally see why this guy was the toast of Hollywood, yeah. you know, but also brings out that part of him that was like, a very kind of demanding perfectionist and kind of an yeah. asshole. You know, like, I, I think this, I can't point out what scenes I would cut, but I feel like this movie could lose 15 to 20 minutes just, just for time wise. Well, it gets a little too much into the melodrama when you keep going, can we please talk about the movies? Yeah. Like it's not <laughs> till over halfway through the film that he even gets to Hollywood. Well, I, I don't know if that's us being film geeks. Sure. It or is. It if, is. If, if your common audience would have that same issue, but ultimately it's just a little long. Otherwise, this is a good movie. I would recommend checking it out. Overall, I would agree with you. I mean, uh, your results are definitely going to vary based on your affection for older black and white films. I don't think this is an all-time classic as a movie in and of itself, but it is the only version of the story of one of the most interesting talents in Hollywood. And for all that I comment that we we have niche demands as movie geeks, I feel like this movie is going to play a lot better to a classic film geek than it is to a nod because you get to see them recreating those great moments. I will say a little disappointed with Arrow's presentation though of extras um, because Lon Chaney, I mean, Arrow does so much horror stuff and there's not a lot here. Although one of the only real extras, which is the man behind a thousand faces, which is a 21 uh, minute interview with one of my favorite Arrow interviewees for these things. Uh, uh, Kim Newman, who's like this extremely animated, uh, uh, I believe, British critic, who just like is a riot to watch. He's just so happy to be there every time he camps. Yeah, he cares, and he's just one of those. He's just constantly smiling the whole time through. He's always fun to watch his extras. So he talks a lot about Lone Chaney. There's a commentary by Tim Lucas. There's image galleries with posters and lobby cards and production stills, and then there's a booklet. But I mean, this is Arrow Academy, which is they're like teaching films and normally these aren't as well packed with extras as the others anyway i actually never realized that they had a separate label for their black and white classics they do okay cool but not on that label is killer none however i'm going to be very clear in saying i have never watched a non-sploitation movie before except for the devils by ken russell which i didn't even need to know was Technically considered an unsploitation. Yes, for you neophytes out there, there is a term called nunsploitation because there are literally more than enough movies out there to qualify uh, under I, that term. I was kind of in the same. I I know of this genre. I've never actually seen any because I've never seen a Ken Russell movie, uh, which may be a good thing, maybe a bad thing. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. It's, this it's, was okay. It's, I, 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 when I walked out of this movie or turned it off, I, I flashed back to that Simpsons gag where they see Naked Lunch and look back and go, I think there are two things wrong with that title. <laughs> and like, that's, I stopped this and that, that flashed through my mind. Just well, like, okay. 
the weird thing about this film made 1978, which is relatively, I guess it's right kind of in the middle towards late period of the nunsploitation like thing that was going on. The era. It's one of the films that fans of nunsploitation films, and yes, there are people who call themselves fans of nunsploitation cinema, um, consider, is it really nunsploitation? Because this film shares very few hallmarks with every other film that is considered to be nunsploitation. The most prominent of it is that it's set in modern day. Nunsploitation films are almost always set in like medieval times or at least a hundred years ago with like a bunch of like priests who are like whipping nuns and nuns who are like, I believe we're possessed by the devil. We're going to show our tits, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, this was actually kind of has more in common in the way it's being presented with, um, What's the the uh, uh, the one who flew a uh, man who flew uh, the, the flew over the, the cuckoo's nest? One who flew over the cuckoo's nest. Well, it feels like that. Even the main like sort of nun feels like Nurse Ratchet. Well, so like it. So first of all, this movie is apparently based off a true story, mm-hmm. and, and, and honestly, I, my inclination of what this feels like was that that Catholic movie we watched a couple of sets ago about the kids. Uh, in the seminary coming to terms with the fact yeah. that they don't have faith. Yeah. Like, that's what this movie feels like. It's it's about a woman who... Anita, had, the, the legendary Anita Ekberg, who is uh, best known for being the lead role in Fed, uh, Fellini's film La Dolce Vita. Huh? Yeah. Oh, shit, you're right. Uh-huh. Well, so... much. This is much later, so she is... Not as gloriously yeah. like beautiful as she was in that. So film. she plays kind of the head nun in this. Well, she's hospital. not the head nun. I thought she was. Well, she was like a. She's a. She's an older nun who's there, but she's not the head nun. No. Well, you know what? Maybe you ought to describe the plot because I remember like half of this movie. And... <laughs> so she's Sister Gertrude. Uh, she has uh, recovering from surgery for a brain tumor. The Mother Superior uh, is like, no, 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 go back to work, even though she's like. I don't feel right. But uh, soon it becomes clear as she starts having hallucinations. And violent um, outbursts. She's get violent outbursts against people, like in a very nurse ratchet sort of way. Um, as she's getting addicted to morphine and heroin. She is starts having a lesbian affair with a younger, uh, of course, because it's a non-exploitation sure. film, with a younger sister who's there. Um and it's just doing mean shit to I, these geriatric people who I, are in this. Like, I feel the need to add a caveat. You say she's in a lesbian relationship. It's more, but, but what that really means is they're roommates who sit around and read books and talk naked. Yeah, to a point that I I did not realize that they were in a quote unquote relationship until just now, and thought that in that convent they happened to just sleep and hang out naked in their rooms. Right. Um. And by the way, the the girls, the uh, Paola Mora, who it's I was like looking gorgeous. up immediately, who was like plays the the nun, who's kind of like the one initiating this with her, is so unbelievably like, oh my god, you're so beautiful, you're just stunning. Only movie she ever did that I could find, really? and I found other things saying the same thing. I looked and looked and looked, and I could not find a single other thing. Not only that she acted in, or that where she went, what happened to her, anything. She just has disappeared. Pretty much, yeah. And and it's like, but how do you be that? Like like I said, stunning. It was like when you saw Cemetery Man for the first time and saw the the lead actress in that, and you were like, 
who the fuck is that gorgeous <laughs> Italian lady? She's like is glowing with like perfect beauty. This lady has the same yeah. thing where you're like, there's something about her that's just so and, iconic. And this is this was it. And so at this point, like if I remember correctly, which part this movie didn't make a huge impact. I'm I'm trying to remember. It's been a week. Uh, I, I believe like murders start happening, and then everyone right. assumes that it's Nurse Ratchet. It turns into a Giallo yeah. film. Yeah, and then of course it's not, but like, and it's not hard to parse out who it actually it's not, is. It's obvious. I mean, that's uh, the biggest problem of the film is that ultimately kind of boring because of how obvious it is. It's well, and the kills aren't good. The the actors aren't terribly interesting or charismatic, aside from the two nuns. Yeah. Yeah, Anita so like, Ekberg is into it, and she's a good she's actress. She's good. It's just that there's. There's not enough there. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I think this is a movie that, like, de- suffers from trying to be what it was, which was being a more accessible nunsploitation film. And it has a bleak ending. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, like, like, I don't know. This is one of a couple of movies this set where I don't I don't hate it. Yeah. I watch it. It Didn't was okay. Hate it. It's it's fine. I, I'm it's glad fine. I finally saw another nunsploitation film other than you know Kid Russell, The Devils, but uh, which I think is only I mean is thought of in that genre, but he wasn't trying to make a nunsploitation film as as it were. But I feel it made me want to go. So what are the really nasty ones that everyone <laughs> loves from this what, genre? What are the, real what are the ones that? Where's the guinea pig of 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 uh, of nunsploitation films? God, I don't even know what you're referencing, but I'm scared. To oh, we'll out. get to that when we talk about the ring you said on your next show. So okay, yeah. Uh, but there are. This is Arrow, and there is a. a uh, as they always do, a good insert booklet in here with multiple essays. Um, there's a commentary by Adrian J. Smith and David Flint. There's a 30-minute Beyond Convent Walls, which I actually really enjoyed watching, which is a video essay that uh, uh, by Kat Ellinger, which looks at the history of nunsploitation, uh, which I was like, because I knew next to nothing about it. So I was really like, fun to watch. Yeah, I learned next to nothing. I, I, I knew <laughs> next to nothing about this topic and i was like okay this was a thing that i'm glad i got this set this this blu-ray because now i'm a huge chapter that's been missing of my like you know my particular interest in films which tends to be horror and exploitation and stuff like that like is now filled in by learning about all this huge history of things i never would have even um thought of the killer's or the Devils as being a nunsploitation <laughs> film off the top of my head. There's Our Mother in Hell, a 52-minute new interview with the director. Uh, Cut and Noise, a 20-and-a-half-minute interview with the editor. Uh, Starry Eyes, a 24-minute interview with actress Elena Fraja. And some theatrical trailers and a image gallery. Well, let's move on to our next one, which is, ho, 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 are you ready for this one, folks? It's William Shatner in <sighs> Devil's Revenge. <coughs> Look, this is not one I asked for, Aaron. I want to be very clear about this. This was Good. sent to me because it came in a... Because a lot of times you ask for one film from somebody and they just send everything else they've got right then in it. It came and I was like, I don't have any choice, do I? It's got William Shatner. I got to watch it. Like, it's it's a bad, bad look. I mean, just the cover. You're like, oh, this is going to be terrible. Yeah, so this is... With the, Shatner. This is the only movie that I, by the end, started skimming. Um, it's 
it is a super low budget movie. Uh, let's let's actually try to talk about the plot um, about a guy who is a rogue archaeologist, I guess, um, exploring caves in Kentucky. Yeah, he's looking um, for something that his dad, and, William Shatner, is obsessed with, and so yeah, he, he finds this. Oh, one second. <coughs> he finds this statue that disappears, and immediately one of his two partners in archaeology is brutally murdered and they get the fuck out and so he goes back to see his family his wife played by jerry ryan his kids played by people uh and by the way jerry ryan from star trek's voyager yes which obviously they're like putting down their their duke at some like this seems like the type of movie that star trek fans would be all you know, about i was really curious to look up and see if the main character was also from star trek not that i could fun. find he's no. not um and so Shortly after, he starts seeing things and experiencing things and losing control of his emotions. Basically, this statue that he found has infected him. And he starts seeing these... Statue that he found and then it promptly disappeared disappeared. before he could take it. He starts seeing these monster men who, in the beginning, I thought looked really good. It was Guar. But... As near as I could tell, it was Guar. It was Guar. It looked like Guar. (laughs) Basically, really good cosplay. Um, And so, he goes and he runs into his father and we find out that this statue has been this family obsession for generations some curse has been affecting them who apparently skipped William Shatner who seems to be okay except for being a a total Republican right wing gun nut who also is totally can think about nothing but this fucking statue yes William Shatner is I I, he's not doing a good job uh, he, no, he's he angry. Has no, he has no fucks to get. He's that's in this his because he gets to spend a scene in this movie where he shoots like eight fucking yeah. rockets, well, like at a bunch of monsters. And he was like, "Yeah, that's yeah, that and a paycheck is all I need." To hear. So this guy he finds out that it's tied to some demon. They're trying to kill his family, and for some random reason, he has to not only go back into the cave to resolve this. For their family for generations. But he has to take, has his, to family take his family with him. With him. <laughs> it's just bad. It's poorly shot. It's poorly edited. And Jerry Ryan, who I normally like, is so bad in this that it makes me afraid for Star Trek Picard. No, you're not wrong. Like, I was really excited, and I was digging the fact that she was in that show. I think any And now act- that I watch this, I'm really worried. Any actor, no matter how talented, can look like they're a piece of shit if the script and director are bad enough. Truth. And I think this may be, I don't know. I mean, I don't think this is a complete way. I've seen much worse films than this. I'm like, it's not a complete waste of time. And this is from Cleopatra Entertainment, whose kind of whole thing is, (coughs) seems to be mixing genre with like rock and roll and metal and punk and stuff. Like, because like this, like everything that seems like they release comes with the soundtrack CD, which I'm like, really? Um, All right. They're a music label. That is just lately decided they're going to start putting out films and all their films tend to have some angle of music to it. And this is trying to be, this movie wants to be super metal as fuck. It's not. And it's not, it's laughably. So, I mean, I can totally see this as something that you would like put on in the background at a Uh, club or something, you know, but like it's ridiculous. And, and, and like there's a couple gore scenes that are possible. Yeah. It's like I I can't even hate this movie. It's just boring and yeah, lame. It's I I actually had some amount of fun with it because it is so outrageously stupid and the the monsters which are clearly 
clearly designed after the members of Guar. <laughs> Um, are are just kind of so ridiculous. All the all the CG effects, which is every CG effect that's in the movie, is like twenty five years ago levels of lame. Uh, I mean, like there's a I mentioned earlier, there's a scene where about. Shatner is just launching this rocket launcher, like the, like grenade launcher, into these monsters. And I mean, literally, he's got like thousands of these fucking grenades in this thing, and they're just. It's all looks like sprite animation from a Commodore 64. I kind of liked it when they left the cave and it exploded. Yeah. And, like, exactly that. It's, like, they fall down. The explosion has no depth to it. It's clearly a separate element. There's no no attempt at blending it in. It just looks like exactly that. Someone just threw up a shitty sprite effect. Honestly, if you're one of those people who is looking for a good sort of background dumb party movie that'll make people laugh and point at it but not being too gross... Because normally those movies for me are the Fulci films where I'm like, I'll throw in the background and people will be like, what the fuck was that? That fucking crow just ate that woman's eye right out of her face while she was screaming and we saw the whole thing. That's the kind of background movie I like. I saw someone who had a Halloween costume of that. That's cool. But Devil's Revenge is one of those sort of like light background Halloween party stuff. Sure. That's about it. Or you could skip it. Which also brings us (laughs) to our next film, another movie that... We we talked about on the Breakfast Pub, uh, on the Breakfast Pub, which we do all our our, our uh, trailer reviews and news stories. The, the trailer for this movie, The Drone, which I was like, "You've got to be fucking kidding me! This has got to be a joke movie, right? Please tell me this is like a satire horror film." And it is indeed this movie, The Drone, from people who made Zombievers, which was obviously a satire film. I've never sure. seen it. I cannot speak to that. But I was like, okay, so it is. The idea of a drone. Okay, this is child's play, except instead of a a, a, a doll, it's a, a serial killer's, like, piloted drone. And, and just, just to clarify, it's not like a super cool experimental drone. It's a, just a shitty, drone. over-the-counter target drone. Who gets but possessed. It's that white one that you've all seen. Yeah, he gets possessed by the soul of the serial killer. Uh, and uh, after he's killed by SWAT, a SWAT no, team. No, no, no. He was killed by lightning, bitch. He was killed by lightning, to be fair, but it was his own fault. And and then there is uh, two newlyweds moving into their own home, Alex Esso and John Brotherton. Uh, he finds a drone in his recycling bin, which, of course, is said drone that belonged to the killer that was holding said drone when he got struck by lightning. And the drone is possessed by the killer who's obsessed with the wife. And then you're like, oh, why is it this woman? Well, you find out there's backstory there. And anyway, yeah, this the is third act, by this the way. Is, yeah, this is dumb. It's it's not dumb in a fun way. It's it's one of those like, guys, what are you doing? Like, why aren't you just fully acknowledging that this is not supposed to be taken seriously instead of acting like it's supposed to be taken seriously. That was my problem with it. Like, Zombievers, I have not seen it. I have seen pieces of it. It is very clearly a funny satire movie. This feels like it should be, but I don't think they ever really try to make it funny. They, They make a serious horror film, and it is not good. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where they know it's stupid, but their choice of making it funny is playing it straight. And I've definitely seen movies where that works with. Yeah. Where, but this is one that's just not self-aware well, enough it, to do that the, successfully the, with. The drone just is at no point in the movie threatening. Uh, the, I can tell you the exact moment the movie lost me. Uh, it's the drone is self-aware. They make a point of 
talking about how the house is Wi-Fi enabled because the husband is a small penis having insecure alpha and insult man. Uh, and the drone hears this and decides to hack into his computer. And this is a small thing to annoy me, but nevertheless, it broke me. And so at one point, the drone to plant incriminating evidence on this computer flies over to it because, you know, they just have a lot of drone flying and uploads the photos. But you see the mouse moving on the screen. Right. The drone's not moving the mouse. It's just talking to the computer and moving the mouse and double clicking and right clicking. And it was so stupid. Like, that, that's not in any way how that See, kind of thing works. That didn't bother me because I was like, compared to everything else. Cause I was like, let's say that the drone can Bluetooth connect and it can like move the mouse around. Okay. That's not too big of a stretch. What is a stretch is there's a scene where they come into their house and there's spray painted shit all over their walls. Like how would the drone make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> How would the drone pick up a can of spray paint and write stuff on the, the drone walls? with no articulating? Arms Did it whatsoever. hire a, like a? Is there an app for people to come spray paint shit in your house? Like, that it called? There aren't many kills. The kills that are are lame. Yeah, super lame. The the there is a god damn it. There's a drone battle that happens in the last act that so stupid is all CG, but it's bad CG. It's, man, this is just. Not good. I yeah. was hoping that you never know these sort of things. This might be a new minor oh, yeah, it could comedy be fun. thing. It's not. Uh, it, even like the, the 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 subtitle stuff from it runs on batteries and blood on the cover. Oh I'm yeah, like, come hold on. on. Hold on. That's, Your remote has you. no control. That brings up something what? that I have to call out. Drones last about fifteen minutes. Like they do not have good battery life. Maybe you got a good one, I mean, and they last like forty five minutes. And maybe to you an could hour. go. I, I'd be willing to go so far as say, you know what? It's fucking Satan or some shit. Whatever. No, it's but, a random guy. Yeah, like you know what I mean though. Lightning yeah. struck him. I mean, there's supernatural shit involved. And he I'm just batteries. like, okay, so maybe the thing stays charged. I, I honestly, if we're looking for stuff to complain about here, is unrealistic. I don't need to go that far. No, into it. I guess it, what it was for me is that. The script and the basic concept is so lazy. They just like hand waved away so many things yeah. that everything else doesn't even matter to me because the core, uh, the core concept of the story is just it doesn't work at all. You're not wrong. It does not work at all. And I wish I could recommend this movie, which seems like it could have been a fun time, but instead they just made a dull. By the numbers, sorry, lazy movie. I did not realize it at the time, but apparently this movie made me angry. <laughs> uh, even though the, I, I'm certainly not going to widely recommend Candy Corn, uh, but it's a hell of a lot better than The Drone. I had a lot of fun with Candy Corn. Uh, I mean, like I said, widely. I think there is definitely a crowd of people who this movie is totally yeah. fucking perfect for. And so Candy Corn is a independent horror film that just came out. Um, basically, it focuses on a carnival that's in town and there is a guy who is the he's the special needs guy in this small town and so that is how he is known and he is going to join this carnival and leave and have a life and a group of stereotypical shitty teenagers and their one 
a lady friend. I mean, like, way beyond stereotypically yeah. shitty. They're, they're, okay, they're villains in every other movie ever made. Yeah. Um, they go, you know what? It's Halloween. <laughs> We're going to go torture this kid because it's a tradition. Yeah, their tradition uh, is to torture this kid. This their, special needs kid. Their plan is to strip him naked and make him walk through town. Okay, I, I will say right off the bat, first problem with this movie, there's only one sympathetic character in the entire film, and it's not even the special needs kid. Yeah. well, it, It's the girlfriend. And she's not that sympathetic. No, she's not. Because, so, like, she ha- so they have this conversation that opens the movie, and she has a token amount of resistance. Her boyfriend is one of the guys, which, like... It, the fact that she didn't immediately run to the police and go, my boyfriend and his friends are about to assault a special needs person, just killed her for me. But so they proceed to go and harass this poor guy and things go wrong and they beat him to death. Like flat out crush his head, beat him to death. So they fuck off going, we're fine. We didn't do anything wrong. He's okay. The main douchebag is kind of like, oops. Oh, well. And the uh, carnival owner finds the body and immediate go-to is to find, pull out this ancient artifact and perform a dark magic ritual, which he went to that really fast and didn't seem to know a lot about it. That That was weird for me. But he brings this guy's body back from the dead. And it's basically a golem whose sole purpose is to enact revenge on the people who killed him. And the movie follows that guy proceeding to go around and murder the teens one by one. Uh, while the police ineptly try to investigate it. And yeah. think it's the carnival but don't really know. So I need to point out here that one of the attractions of this film for big horror fans is that it's trying to get a bunch of known faces of classic horror actors. And it does okay at that. PJ Souls plays like the, the, the dispatcher at the station, which of course was uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's best friend in the original Halloween, amongst many other roles. Uh, Tony Todd, Candyman, plays yes. one of the guys who works at the carnival. One of the Cor- most iconic voices at horror. Courtney Gaines, who of course was the main bad kid from uh, 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 Children of the Corn, plays the sheriff. Weird to play him pl- see him playing a good guy. One of the few guys who I'm always like, I've partied with that dude multiple times. (laughs) My friend Michelle Williams, like who used to be on the first iteration ever of like before spill, the real deal. uh, She got to know him and always brought him out. And he always was like, I'll always be your friend for sneaking me into this fantastic fest party that one year. It's like, Oh wow. The guy from children of the corn is grateful to me. Oh shit. Is that bad? (laughs) But anyway, he's in this and actually is the guy who seems to be giving this the most amount of serious thoughts. He's, he's working harder at taking this seriously than anyone. Pancho Moeller plays Dr. Death, who is the guy who runs the count, the, 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 uh, uh, carnival who does the deal to reanimate the, the special needs kid who is a, a little person who's known for being in the Rob Zombie, several of the Rob Zombie films. That's what I knew him a, from somewhere. A lot of the other people in this film have been like, they've been in like one or two horror films here or there, but don't have quite the iconicism of those I've already listed. But nonetheless, you can tell what they're going after here, what crowd they're chasing for <coughs> this film. And to some degree it works. I don't think the gore is up to the level it no, should be. The, the kills for this. are bad. Uh, like They're interesting in concept, but they clearly had a budget issue, and so they're trying to they hide a lot of it. So there's lots of like 
shots of people's pained faces as the really horrible being ripped apart stuff well, is they're, happening they're off screen. They're badly shot. <laughs> Honestly, I couldn't tell if the effects were good because they kept shooting them so wrong yeah, where it was like way too close or it was a weird angle. It was just awkward whenever they were shooting a gore scene. And, and like the script never comes together either. I, I can't go into it too much because I'll be giving away a lot of the last act, but like the, you can see the idea but it doesn't end up having any kind of surprises. It's just like what I described to you is the movie. Yeah. But there's no other extra layers to it. No characters have any nuance or any kind of anything. And yet and so, like, the whole thing has a certain amount of like mild, like what the fuck enjoyment to it. And, and, uh, I, and yeah, it was fun. It was fine. Although it does, it ends on a gag too, which it does. annoyed me. Uh, I, I was really bothered by the like the last five minutes of the movie. I felt like it needed to come to a more climactic end. There's something to be said for horror movies that are made by people that are a little bit too big fans of horror movies, where they all seem to feel like candy corn. And I'm including Rob Zombie's movies on well, that it's, list. It's because where... they get they get too into the weeds and forget that ultimately you need a decent narrative, or if not a good narrative. You need an easy to digest three act structure. It's just these things where you go. I don't think you should get into film directing if all you've ever cared about is horror movies. Yeah. If you've never stretched past that, I don't think you have the. I, I don't think you have the visual education enough to tell a decent movie if you're basing it entirely on your favorite gory films. Yeah. You know, um, I'm like, that's, I, I hate to say that. I'm sure there's exceptions to that rule out there, but I found this to be true over and over and over again. Like I said, that includes Rob Zombie. No, I mean, uh, you're right. Like, if this movie had a slightly better script, or a slightly better structured script, sure, and a more deft hand behind the camera, it could have been a really fun, not quite special, but enjoyable indie horror film. Yeah. Whereas as it is, like, it's it's okay. I If you really dig horror, you're going to find some enjoyment out of this, but... It's not going to be anything that you need to rewatch or talk about after. Agreed. Uh, next up from the same release company is Harpoon. Huh. Um, not the first movie in the first <laughs> last couple of years to have the title Harpoon. There was one apparently about like murderous whalers that came out like two years ago with the same title. Also, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this movie has the exact same plot as Donkey Punch. Uh, you know, I've seen Donkey Punch. I just don't remember. But uh, regardless. So... Uh, Monroe Chambers from Degrassi High and Turbo Kid, much more important, <laughs> is one of the stars here. Christopher Gray, Emily Tyra. It is uh, uh, Marilyn, uh, Chambers plays Jonah, who when we meet him, he's this poor guy. He's like he's a he's a, a loser. And when it starts, he's in his house and there's a knock on the door. He's like, hey, it's your friend. And the door opens and the friend who's like a super rich kid uh, played by Christopher Gray just starts brutally beating the shit yeah, like, out of him. He would have had to go to a hospital. Yeah, like brutally beating the fuck out of him. And it becomes clear that it's like, oh, uh, he misunderstood something that was going on and thought that he was sleeping with his girlfriend, Emily Tyra. Turns out he wasn't. They were collaborating on getting him a gift. A harpoon gun. <laughs> Set up for, you know, the weapon that will continue to be a yes. part of this movie until suddenly it's not. Yeah. First um, act. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Weirdly e exits the film relatively quickly into it. 
But he's like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry, man. I didn't, oh, I feel like such an asshole now. And there's a thing that comes back later. He's like, well, now you have to let me punch you because of this. Like, okay. So he's like, you know what? Let's go out. And uh, he, his rich family owns this yacht called the Naughty Boy, which boy, you know, yeah, get it? Yeah, which I, I actually it. thought was kind of clever. And I was like, <laughs> points. They head out to sea, but the boat breaks down. No radio. There's, oh. They can't get a phone signal, of course. They don't have any way of getting in touch with anyone. And they're like, and this is in the middle of them all. Oh, yeah. All over everything breaking down again between them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets to a point right around the same time. I will not give them like what happened and why, but they basically are at each other's throats. Yeah. And yeah. Well, so things are breaking down in that way and the boat is broken down. Uh, It becomes clear that the rich kid is a son of a big mobster who maybe murdered someone else in his past before for mistreating him. Uh, I did not catch that. Yeah. Maybe murdered someone who was the father of his child who he didn't want. It was a big plot point, Aaron. I, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I, 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 I'm sick, I guess. But That's okay. No, like, 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 like it becomes is, a question whether or not that is something that actually happened. The reason why I hesitate on that is that, like, this movie was kind of flat. Like, once it got past the first act into the proper setup, which is mostly a survival film about these three people, like, okay, we have no food, no water, we have some booze. And we have no way to radio for help or leave. What do we do? Well, I mean, it's a character-based survival yeah. film, though. I don't want to take that away no, from it. No, I'm not. And, like, the characters were actually kind of semi-interesting, and I was into their interplay. But, I don't know, it never grew beyond that for me. I, I will admit that I actually grew to like this film. I thought it started off very amateur, very amateurish, where I was feeling, here we go. But once it actually got onto the boat, and I like all three of these actors, I thought they were doing a pretty good job at playing I would these agree with that. admittedly somewhat one-dimensional parts they're playing, but it's a decent script dialogue-wise. Like, their interplay with each other is kind of fun to watch play out. I really enjoyed the the woman. She did a really... Yeah. She, she, she took a character who would have... I feel like on the script was nothing and added a lot of charisma to it. And the actress brought a lot to it that, that I don't think would have been there with somebody else. And there's multiple twists in this, all of which one of the first one I was like, I kind of figured, but the movie wanted you to kind of figure. Yeah. But the last one I was like, did not no. see that coming. The, the 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 ending twist was legit good. Yeah, and then the twist, the the final like wah wah yeah. twist was like ha. <sighs> I liked it. I didn't. I did. It, it was another gag movie. It was a gag, but I thought it was a funny gag because it was one of those like, you know, this type of movie is like you know, e- evil must be punished. Well, and let, I was let me like, rephrase it. I think it was a bad joke told well. Okay, that's you know? fair. Because like there was a she or uh, the the they pulled it off well, but I just still didn't like the concept of it. I, I did in particular think this elevated beyond the budget significantly because it's a very low budget film and it really manages to transcend that in terms of the writing, which I thought was on the whole quite well done. This does in fact feel like a early film from someone who's got better stuff probably in their future. I would agree with that. You know, I, I would be interested to see more movies they did now that they have some experience under their belt. Yeah. This is a uh, director writer, Rob Grant, who has definitely been working on films for a while as more of an editor 
more than anything else, but he's done certainly uh, some other films as a writer and director as well. Uh, but this is his first big film and, you know, full on feature. And I got to say, very promising. Um, and, and the actors as well as, like you said, especially the female act, the actress here, I thought was terrific, but it's not anywhere near perfect of a movie, but it is one that I think will keep your attention and you'll Although, find entertaining. Now I feel bad that I apparently missed a major plot point and I feel like I need to rewatch yeah, it. It literally <laughs> plays out into the end twist of the film. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, were you sick when you watched this? I was. You so, so, son of so a just, bitch. Just to clarify, I have spent the last week taking care of my sick son, sick daughter, and sick wife while also coming ill myself no that's fair so i was and this is also while i was watching a bunch of godzilla movies and ultraman so my last few weeks have been slightly fever dreamish i i've been there in fact just recently (laughs) welcome to the season get your flu shot everyone so we're gonna end the first part of our digital noise there because we're at like almost 50 minutes all right and then we're gonna do a second i know you're like same difference Aaron. Don't yeah, give me that sad look. I did. I was looking at the stack to see if, if we yeah had we got six left. It. We just did six. Okay. So we're gonna do another six. Okay. Aaron and I enjoy talking so much about these movies. We tend to take a little longer than we other do. people. Sorry. But it's always a fun time. No, don't apologize. <laughs> You're very good at it. So, uh, like very shortly after this episode, I'll put up the next episode, which is the second half of our stack, which we start getting a little bit away from the horror stuff and into. Some all-time classics, some new DC animated re-releases and new releases, and just some some stuff that I think we both probably like. Just to call it out, I I guess, given what we have so far, my pick of the week is Man of a Thousand Faces. Oh, yeah, I I think easily. (laughs) I'm looking at the side. Are you you sure you don't want to go with Devil's Revenge? (laughs) I I mean, look at that amazing Shatner performance I I was trying to decide if any of them were like, like, this might be a week where I don't have one. But no, no, Man of a Thousand Faces, that was legit. Easy pick. Yeah. 